Hi there. Before we get into the actual conversation, I wanted to take care of some housekeeping details. The first of which, if you have not yet checked out our website, please go to coldshowerpodcast.com. That's going to have all my old blog posts, my podcast episodes, as well as some other opportunities, whether that's booking speaking engagements or another thing that we're really uh, looking deeply at and hoping to get rolling here at the end of the summer or early fall is to do some live recording. So what that would mean is to uh, sit down with a guest in front of a live studio audience and either cover a specific topic or, like we do sometimes, is just highlight that guest and the things that they have going on. And then we would just do that in front of a live audience and and make sure that there's time afterwards for Q&A. And so that's something that I'm definitely interested in. So if you think that you have a place where you would like to host one of those events, then please reach out, go to the the contact form on the website, and and let me hear your ideas. Uh, Also, another thing is if you have not yet left a rating or review on iTunes, please go and do that. I've been getting some new ones the last couple of weeks, and like I said, it really gives us a sense of credibility, uh, not just to iTunes, but also the people that maybe aren't certain if they're going to latch onto this podcast. They can go check those reviews and decide then if it's something that they want to listen to consistently. If you're like me, reviews are very important. I don't buy anything online without first reading the reviews, or I I hardly ever go to a restaurant without first reading the reviews. Podcasts are no different, so these really do make a big difference. If you have not yet done that and left one, please do so. It's as simple as that. Uh, I guess lastly would just be if you want to find out more uh, and stay up to date with what we have going on, then please check out um, our Instagram page. We have at Cold Shower Podcast, and then also my personal page where I do so much of of the cold shower stuff because really my personal life and and this operation are definitely deeply intertwined. It's underscore Taylor Kramer. And the last thing before I introduce my dude Liam is that we did approach the subject of the Enbridge Pipeline 5, uh, which if you live in Michigan or northern Michigan specifically, you're probably really familiar with. We both did say that we are not experts on this topic, but we certainly know a lot of people that that are much more well-versed in what this pipeline does and what it could mean for our lakes, but we did touch on it. And so I just wanted to, to again, give that disclaimer of we are not experts on this topic And there's definitely much more research that we need to be doing, but I can assure you that I will be getting someone on the podcast to speak on this so that they can provide a greater detail. Um, The one area that I did want to make a correction, and you'll hear it in the podcast, is that I had said in 2018 there was a tugboat anchor that had struck the the pipeline and caused some leaking. After looking it up, I guess that that anchor strike did happen, but it did not cause actual leaking. Now, there are other cases of the pipeline leaking. I mean, this thing was built in the 1950s, but I did just want to to uh, cover that a little bit and give a bit of a disclaimer there. So without further ado, listen to the conversation that I had with Liam Kaiser. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Cold Char Podcast. I have with me a relatively new friend. I would say a new friend, uh, Liam Kaiser, and he does cool stuff with cameras. So I'm going to not waste any more time in introducing you. And I guess just ask, like, 
how'd you get started shooting uh, photos and like you do some film work too? Yeah. Uh, first off, thanks for having me. Of course, I'm man. Like really stoked to be here and share my passion with you and hopefully others can hear that and link that in with their own personal life. Um, yeah. So how did I get shooting? Yeah, I guess. I mean, have you been doing it for a while? Yeah, I actually started in sixth grade um, and it's a interesting story. I had a foreign exchange student and um, he ended up going to the same high school I went to, Traverse City West here in Traverse City. And he got really inspired by this one teacher that I later took in high school. And he got so inspired by taking photography, being able to capture still images that he ended up upgrading cameras. And from there, he left his old camera with me. And shortly after he left, I ended up picking that up. And ever since, kind of had a camera in my hand, went through middle school, uh, took photography classes, went through high school as well. And I was always just kind of that kid with a camera. And that grew into a pretty intense love for photography, I'd say. I tried to dive into it as much as I can, doing internships and trying to mentor under people. Um, came up to my, I think it was my junior summer. I was like, man, senior year is coming up. I have no idea what I want to do with my life. You know, I love photography, but I didn't know if I wanted to do that as a um, full-time career. And I went on a backpacking trip to the Picture Rocks, actually, mm -hmm. up in uh, Michigan's Upper Peninsula. And I did just like a really quick GoPro video. Didn't think of anything, anything of it. And um, that's kind of when I discovered also I had this passion for film as well. Um, I took the video and I brought it to the instructors at the Film and New Media program at the Career Tech Center in Traverse City as well. And this is like after the deadline. They have a really tight program there. A okay. lot of people want to get into it. And I essentially said, hey, like, if you get me in this program, like, I will try my best and I'll, I'll make it worth your while, essentially. So kind of mingled my way in there and, um, yeah, got into it that way. Dude, that's gnarly. So you, like, went out on a limb and kind of, I don't know, pushed your way in a little bit. They had to take a little bit of a risk on you. It was. And I think I probably bumped somebody off the list because yeah. I was at the bottom for sure. Um, but I think looking back on it, they probably think they made the right decision. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't stress it. I have a similar story with the current job that I have as a social worker. I was like, my wife and I were moving up north. And I never remember like if I already say this stuff on the podcast or not, but um, you've never heard it. So here yeah. we go. Um, but she had her job. So that's why we were moving north. And then I was like, okay, well, I got to get my job now. I had to quit my previous one. And I found one that I was like, it was going to be perfect because it was going to be like working a lot from home and like a lot of the stuff that you want um, driving quite a bit, which I don't mind, like as long as the roads are good. So I was like, man, this job would just be so sweet. And then I applied and they emailed back and were like, Hey, you didn't make the cut for in even an interview. And I was like, okay, that sucks. And so I emailed back and I was like, if you even just have like five minutes at the end of your interviews with other people, I would still love to just come and, and talk to you guys. And so they gave me a couple minutes at the end and then I got the job after that. So it is like, sometimes you just have to force your way in. I hope people like remember that because especially like, I think with creative ventures, it seems like less about your actual resume. I'm sure there's portfolios and stuff that you have to show, but yeah. sometimes you just got to tell them like, I just have a passion for this and I'm going to do really good work if you trust me. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time people don't realize like generally people forget, you know, you put an application and sometimes you, 
it sounds awful, but you got to pester and be like, Hey, mm-hmm. like follow back up two or three times. Cause they might be really busy and they might not even, you know, that might not be on their radar whatsoever Yeah, until you, you know, make that push. Right. So your style in terms of like photos and film, is it more of like an adventure style? I would say, explain it. I would say it's, um, documentary adventure lifestyle in a weird mix. Um, I like to say that I capture people in their natural environments where they just feel the most alive. Um, generally I try to stick towards more outdoor hobbies that's just where I find myself. That's where my passion is. Um, but it could be in a workshop where somebody's, you know, building a surfboard or even further in that, um, something that someone's just really passionate about. Cause I think that's when somebody's full character comes out, you know, where if you're passionate about something, you're getting that raw form, you're seeing the best, you know, best that they are. Yeah. I've noticed that just from like looking at your profile, um, on Instagram, which you guys should definitely check out. He has a lot of cool photos on there. Um, like the pictures that you take, it's as though the person that you're photographing doesn't even know that you're there. And I imagine that that's on purpose. I would say it's on purpose. Um, although it's certainly not that way because I'm yeah. just snapping away the whole time. But yeah, I want the person to feel as natural as possible. And uh, sometimes that doesn't happen and sometimes I capture it anyways. Um, but that's that's definitely a goal is to have people feel relaxed because, you know, there's a lot of time you'll get to a shoot and you'll start, you know, snapping away and you can just tell they just don't feel comfortable. You know, you have this big camera ringing mm-hmm. around and uh, that could be somewhat destructive sometimes. But also, depending on the person, if they're good with being in front of the camera, it could also be good. So, yeah, situational. Right. So, I imagine it's probably a little bit different. Like, when you're um, photographing people doing, like, their natural things that, they're, that they do throughout a day or, like, outdoor sports and stuff like that, does that make it that much more difficult? Because you're probably having to account for, like, water and the terrain and all these different things. Yeah, it, uh, that's a part of the fun. Um, so I'm a I'm pretty heavily heavily involved in the surf scene right now, um, and that's that's a huge um, portion of a lot of my work. But that's part of the fun when you're just out in the water and you're having to duck dive under waves. For those who don't know, the duck dive is just diving uh, below the surface level where the waves won't get you swept off into shore. Um, you can get pretty mangled up that way. So diving under waves and then all in this chaotic mess, having to be able to capture a picture. Um, it's one of my, the most favorite things I've done photography wise, being able to capture some of these more gnarly environments. So how do you even do, are you just like treading water out there? Like you're not on a surfboard yourself? No, it's not. I tread water. Um, a lot of the time you'll wear flippers, um, depending on how cold it is, you'll wear wetsuit. It's if it's winter time, you'll be wearing a full six five millimeter wetsuit, so you're pretty buoyant at that point. Yeah. Um, so it's not necessarily like the swimming; it, it does tire you out. But I think if it's really heavy waves, it's that constant in and out under ducking, ducking under and over the waves. Okay. Not necessarily over, but right. <laughs> yeah. So I know that um, I had went to like the your pop up display that you had um, at the Blue Heron Mercantile. And saw some of your photos, like for those surfing ones, how many shots did you take for that to be on the wall? I guess it's hard to say. Um, some days I'll jump in the water and it'll be like miraculously right away. I just 
one picture I snap and it turned out really beautifully. Other days I might take out of every 10 pictures, three of them might be good. And that's because a lot of this is action. And when I'm shooting that action, it's a high frame rate. So I'm shooting a lot of pictures of a very short period of time just to pick out that one select picture that looks the best. Mm -hmm. Um, But other days, like I said, you could go out and you just look at whatever you're shooting and you compose it correctly and it turns out to be a beautiful image. All right. What was that original GoPro video like that you took in the UP? Like what did that entail and why did it stand out when you submitted it? Um, It's funny. I looked at that like two days ago and I just like cringed seeing it. You know, Um, nobody is good when they start whatever they're doing, any kind of craft or art and uh, to go on a little bit of a tangent. I hear that a lot. It's Mm -hmm. like, man, I'll never be a good photographer. I'll never be good at this. It's like, you just have to put that time and dedication into it. You know, I'll see Facebook photos from what, 10 years ago. And I cringe. I'm like, man, those are bad photos, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you put time and effort into anything and you're going to get results out of it. And that could be, um, you know, viewed even larger past photography, anything really in life. Mm -hmm. Um, But seeing that GoPro video, um, it just kind of showed me my love for the outdoors, a lot of it. I went with a group of really good friends. I hiked most of the lakeshore um, or the picture rocks lakeshore. And it just shows just how much beauty is out there. And it's right around the corner. And there's so many people that just don't realize that. You know, I know you'll meet individuals that are mopey and they spend a lot of time inside and it's like man get outside like there's so much out there and it's not that far away you don't have to travel to the west coast it's right here in michigan mm-hmm. yeah didn't they just come out i know those polls are always biased but there was some have you seen that article circulating about michigan being the best state i didn't even read it but i just saw the title michigan was voted the best state and i don't know what the parameters are of those because there's beauty like all over the country but um i'm like It was a realization of mine, I'd say only like five or six years ago, where I was like, I don't think I'm ever leaving Michigan. And prior to that, I was probably considering it. Like, I would have told you, yeah, probably at some point, like, we'll move down south or maybe out west or wherever. But I hadn't yet gotten a real taste of, like, life over here on the west side of the state and the UP and northern Michigan. And it's just crazy, like, how much there is to offer. And I'm not even one of those people that has explored every nook and cranny of the state, like I hope to. But I'm certainly way behind a lot of the people that, that we have hung out with, probably yourself included. But And I'm still just like, this place is the best. Yeah, and it's weird because I've had this conversation a lot recently. It takes time to realize that. Um, going through high school, I was always telling myself, I need to get out west. You know, there's bigger things out there for me. And I ended up staying at the community college here in Traverse City, NMC, Northwestern Michigan College for two years. And that kind of showed me just how much I was wrong, you know, and a lot of people, it, it takes time and you need to leave to really realize that. And they'll leave and they'll go all these exotic places thinking that Traverse City is the worst or Northern Michigan is the worst. And they come back and they're like, wow, I realized this is, this is pretty great what we have here. It's a hidden gem right now. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's hard to describe. It's the community. Um, everybody has that Midwestern feel where everybody's very nice from my, from my opinion. Um, and also just natural resources. You know, we have the great lakes. 
Mm-hmm. That's so special. And there's so many places on earth that don't have clean water and access to just wide open spaces. You yeah. Know, there's places on earth that like that's all private. It's not public. And going past that, like just in the United States alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but Michigan has this very special feel to it that people don't realize until sometimes until it's too late. Yeah. And I know we'll talk about like the Great Lakes in a little more depth uh, later, but I think you're exactly right. I didn't realize how little time I was spending outside probably through my college years. Um, I wasn't really going outside a whole lot, wasn't adventuring very much. I lived in Mount Pleasant, so like right in the middle of the state. And there are a couple of things to do out there, like in terms of the outdoors, but not nearly as much as here. And I do think that there's a direct relation between how much time someone is spending outside or what you're making of your time outside and your happiness level. It's simple. Like it's a simple medication, you know, to just get outside and exercise, to hike, uh, to kayak, to swim, all these things where you're actually combining multiple things. You're combining oftentimes beautiful sights. So if you're standing on the shores of Lake Michigan, that's a pretty beautiful sight. You're also breathing the fresh air at the same time. And you're probably exercising and moving your body too. And Michigan just has so many opportunities to combine all those things into one. Love yeah. it. And when you're doing that, you're not looking at that digital screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm guilty of it too. I spend so much time on my phone. And I think this is probably true for a lot of creatives is that if you're a freelancer and entrepreneur, you're spending a lot of time on social media, on different networks, marketing yourself. And that takes a toll, you know, just constantly being connected and, um, you know, to, to log off for just a few hours, go for a swim, go for a hike and just like leave your phone in the car, um, or just turn it off. Like that does wonders. That's one thing I love about, getting in the water and photographing surf is that like, it's just me out there, my camera and the whoever's out there with me, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, you lose all that technology, but you gain such a better connection. Yeah. And I think you're doing a big service to the people that you're photographing too, because you're seeing them from an angle that they've never seen themselves. So there's probably so much about their movements and how they look when they're doing these things that they just can't experience from that perspective that you're providing, you know, a couple feet away or however far away you are. I imagine it's pretty sweet for them to look at those photos after you've shot them and be like, so that's what, I don't know, that's what I look like or it's probably pretty cool. Yeah. And I actually think they're doing a service to me. I mean, I'm so grateful for people letting me go out there and photograph them. Uh, when I first started, um, I, I'd like to say that I got involved through, uh, sleeping birth, surf and kayak in empire, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And through mutual friends, we ended up making this agreement that I was going to make a documentary about them in exchange for a wetsuit. I had kind of shown that I wanted to get into surfing at the time, but when, uh, when the weather gets 10 degrees and the real waves come in, that's when most of the actual waves happen in the winter surf. Um, we ended up making that <coughs> deal and it just, uh, had I dove into this community with open arms and I just would swim out there when I was first starting and just start taking pictures of people and I probably got a few few a few weird looks at first but uh mostly it was just wide open arms and everybody in the community was very welcoming and Mm -hmm. to this day I'm like so grateful that everybody's out there positive friendly and lets me capture them in their environment so 
was there anybody that's done that before like captured that amount of photos for that scene because it's still kind of like a discrete scene like if you ask somebody in the middle of the state or downstate hey did you know that you surf you can surf in lake michigan you might get like most people saying no i didn't know that it's certainly a growing scene um and there is definitely one photography photographer named beth price um beth price photography she's been doing this for past 10 years maybe longer um and she's really grown a name for herself and photographed so much more than i could ever imagine um she spent a lot of time around the great lakes and even past that advocating for like our water and a lot of other resources so she's been around for a while and is an amazing photographer Mm -hmm. are you comfortable in the water or did it take time to get get to that level i would say um I'm generally pretty comfortable in the water. Um, I grew up actually in New Hampshire, but I spent almost every summer of my life um, on Lake Michigan. Okay. My grandparents have a cottage there and uh, in Arcadia. And um, <clears throat> I was pretty pretty used to being in the water. Um, it, there was a learning curve a little bit just to being in waves is a little bit different, especially when you're swimming for a long period of time. Uh, there are a handful of instances where I had some close calls, you know, the, the lakes are nothing to mess with and you got to respect them as much as you want to be out in them. Um, but I'd say I was pretty comfortable. Okay. What's a close call look like? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, um, there was one instance that I was out at Frankfurt and this is one of my first times, you know, within the first year that I got my water housing that enabled me to be in the water and I ended up laying down on the pier and the surf was, it was pretty big for a summer day or late summer day. Um, probably four feet, maybe five feet, which is a decent day in yeah. Lake Michigan. Uh, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> and I laid down on this pier and I remember taking a shot as somebody walked past me and I saw a wave crash over. And normally if you're standing up, it's not a big deal. You can brace yourself. Uh, but if you're laying down, your whole body takes all that power mm-hmm. and I totally got swept off the pier, Dang. uh, got my knee scratched up pretty, pretty heavily. So swept off the pier, kind of went into shock at first. Uh, that's the first thing, you know, naturally your body's going to do. And there's a interesting current that goes through the pier where it circulates, uh, lengthwise, but also pushes you away from it. Okay. So soon as I get thrown off, I'm like, wow, I need to get on that ladder. I need to get back on the pier. And as hard as you try, it's, you're not going to get there. So after maybe five minutes of coughing water, trying to get on this pier, I slowed down, realized my situation and just turned the other way, swam okay. away from the pier. And then the current will just take you right to shore. But that was a pretty humbling experience. Nobody saw me go in. Um, and if I got knocked out, it could be could have been a very bad situation. Uh, but I got out of that day. I stripped all my gear off and I just sat on the beach and watched people surf and I was yeah. done. It was, it could have been bad, but, um, you know, it's experiences like that that teach us, uh, humble us and, you know, hopefully we can learn from. Yeah. I mean, cause if it's a pier, like I'm imagining there's like the big rocks, like encircling it or encasing it. There like were, get... there weren't rocks of this area. Um, if you go farther down, there definitely are. Okay. And that would have been a lot worse. <laughs> Dude. but it was just straight water where I was thankfully yeah so is that um circulating uh current 
is that just due to the pier being jutted out into the water that causes that? It's hard to say, and I really don't know fully. That's just what I've seen. Um, the currents can change, you know, day to day. I think a lot of it's just having to do with the way the waves are ripping in the shore and you have this massive, um, mm-hmm. you know, wall blocking it. And they, that's an easy way for the waves and currents to move in and out is because there's not a lot of other force going. Okay. Um, but they change. I mean, there's also rip currents, which if you don't understand, um, can be dangerous. Rip currents are an area where the waves flow back out to the middle of the lake or the ocean. And it's just a really calm area. It'll look like, so if there's no waves breaking, you can almost see sometimes sand will be pulling outwards Okay, and those can pull you out couple hundred yards are those called undertow too or what's undertow that's what we used to call it i think it's similar and it might be the same thing um i think undertow is when you have and i don't want to like totally butcher this but i think undertow is when you have like really big waves and the wave is as it's falling you get sucked into the wave okay i think it very much could be a rip current as well yeah i think that's probably true and that might be what happens like under a waterfall too Mm -hmm. you know how you can get circulated like under those yeah yeah that's pretty crazy yeah i'm not like super comfortable in the water like i grew up swimming certainly not in like rough water but in ponds and in the bay and stuff and it's still just something that i'm just like like I would have had no clue how to react if I'd have been swept off the pier. I would have definitely, I think, continued to like fight that. And you just can't physically, you can't beat the lake. Yeah. But I probably would have tried because you just probably saw that ladder relatively close or closer than what the shore was. And you're like, that's my best option. And I probably would have just tired myself out and gone. Yeah. And it's, you know, every year you hear about somebody passing away from, you know, a really unfortunate situation and people don't realize the lakes are really powerful. They're stronger than you and you can't fight them and you've got to be responsible and smart about it mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, you put yourself in a bad situation and it's going to turn out pretty, pretty unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. We're always hearing, I grew up on the East side of the state in the Saginaw Bay. So like a portion of Lake Huron and I don't want to say every year, but there's definitely been multiple times throughout my life where you just hear, yeah, so-and-so down the road went kayaking one day and their body washed up. And you just like really wonder why or how, because they were on a vessel too. But yeah, it just seems like nature itself, no matter how much time you've spent out there too, there it always has like more unpredictable features for you too. Yeah, and a lot of it is really just like double checking, you know, double check the radar, go out with a buddy, you know, it's simple stuff that could easily, easily um, make a different outcome, but mm-hmm. people just don't, don't see it. And they overlook the little things a right. lot of the time it's, or it's a, you know, it's a combination of a lot of things going wrong and people, you know, one thing after the other, and they made these decisions that led them in that situation. Mm-hmm. So having a lot of situational awareness goes a long way. Yeah, for sure. Even past the water as well. I mean, that could go into many aspects. Yeah. It's crazy, man. It freaks me out. Um, I definitely know I, I wouldn't even feel comfortable just like treading water out there and, and snapping photos at the same time. That's pretty crazy that you do that. Um, you also like photograph other adventure type activities too, like mountain biking and stuff like that. Yeah. What's that look like? Um, uh, that's kind of what it is. Um, I'm more 
that's definitely something newer to me. Um, I've recently gotten to mountain biking probably in the last like year more heavily, but I just, I think it's a really cool sport. Um, it's just you, your bike and whatever it's in front of the trail in front of you. Um, and it can get really gnarly. You have your, um, more cross country riding, which is really familiar here in Michigan, but you go to some of the spots in the upper peninsula and it's downhill, it's enduro. You have guys hitting like 20 foot jumps. I mean, I'm not really into that as much, but I respect anybody that can go hit a 10 or 20 foot jump and survive. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Crazy, (laughs) man. I, I mean, you're, you're a big dude. Is it weird to get on a bike and like hit jumps and stuff like that? I'm a big dude, but I have a big bike. <laughs> okay. It's, I guess that makes sense. Um, but most of the riding I do personally, just um, aside from photography, um, is very enduro. It's, I like earn your turns, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I like uh, climbing up a pretty heavy hill and then being able to ride down. There's guys out there will just do downhill and then they'll hike their bike all the way back up. Some people just do cross country and it's very flat, but I like being kind of in the middle there. Mm-hmm. Um, you go out West and that's kind of a lot of the riding is that enduro style where it's earn your turns. There's a lot of like mountain passes you might have to go over or trails that are on the passes. Um, quite different from a lot of Mich- a lot of the riding we do here in Michigan. Yeah. Is this like your niche where you see you, you staying in terms of your photography and filming of like, I don't know the extreme sports, I guess. I wouldn't say niche. Um, I would. I want to continue doing, uh, doing what I'm doing and capturing surfing and mountain biking, but also expand. Um, I don't necessarily know where that is, but I'm always looking to expand the horizons. Um, but I'm really into self-propelled sports right now. I like the idea of just being out there, on the water, you and nature, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think like uh, wakeboarding and. Um, wake surfing are super fun and I love going out, but I'm more into the more natural sports like surfing that are more propelled mm-hmm. and more capturing those. Yeah. That being said, if my friend invites me out on a boat and you know, I'll, I'll definitely go wake surfing. Oh, for sure. But I, I like that idea of just being propelled by nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty, that's a pretty cool idea. I mean, is there any, um, like creative struggles that you've seen? How old are you? I'm 21. 21. So you're like pretty young. Um, have you come up against any creative struggles yet or are you still just kind of, yes, I'm going to photograph everything in this space and it's all fun and working? Um, no, I mean, that's, I think for anybody, um, no matter how old you are, there will definitely be creative struggles. Um, like any struggle in life, it's going to come in waves. Uh, sometimes it feels like everything's going really great for you and your work is going really well. You're capturing everything you want to. And then there will be some weeks where, you know, you're not touching your camera as much or you're not picking your camera up as often. Um, and it comes in waves. Uh, I'm kind of getting to that point now where I'm doing a lot more film and photography and I've seen some of the sides of creative burnout. You know, you can't run at a hundred miles an hour all the time or, mm-hmm. you know, fifth gear all the time. You, know, you have to slow down and take a breath. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's for many, many creatives is a, something they can relate to is just that burnout feeling. All right. Um, you need to be able to take a step back and do other activities and not just work all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I realized I just did something I hate when people do to me and that's like, call me young. Like there, I don't know if that bothered you <laughs> no, or not, but no, I'm, I'm good. But like good. the reason I say it is cause I just like, I saw the work that, that you've done and 
for some reason we seem to judge work on how old we think someone should be that they were capable of doing that. But I just thought it was awesome stuff. And then I heard you were 21 and I was like, Oh, all right. Yeah. That's, um, no, that's really cool. I know it's for me, it's the same thing too, of you're in your head a lot. You probably have all these different ideas. So I want to take a photo of this next time or man, last time I was out, I feel like I missed this great opportunity to get that shot. And you want to probably recreate or recapture that moment and try to take advantage of it again. And I'm like that all the time with the podcast and stuff like that, where sometimes I'll just be laying in bed. Like, why didn't I ask that question? This is what people wanted to hear. Or I'll get messages and be like, you know, you didn't quite dig in in this spot that I was really hoping you would. And I imagine it's like that for you too. All the time. Yeah. You're totally not, not alone. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I've, I definitely don't have mastered, but something you just have to take a deep breath and say, you know, there's other shots out there, you know, there's other podcasts, there's other pictures to be had. Um, and I do that constantly, you know, mm-hmm. it's all the, a lot of it's this mental game you play with yourself, you know, and then you're, um, you go out, you shoot, you do a podcast and then you come back and you remember that one little thing that you forgot or you did wrong. And I think people overlook that of just in general, this, this could have been a really successful shoot, but you're focusing on that one thing that could have been different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes you just got to, like I said, take that deep breath and say, I did a really great job today and there'll be another time that I could make that up or be able to, um, uh, yeah, to make that up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a good point because a lot of, I think people would find more success and they'd also be happier with their performance or themselves if they were able to do that in terms of appreciate all the stuff that went well. Human nature is just to focus more on the negatives or the failures. That's just how we're wired. I think probably was used as a, a safety mechanism or a defense mechanism, you know, when we were being chased by lions and tigers and stuff, you know, always looking for whatever's wrong and being able to, to run away from it. But in creative ventures, it's like, if you want to maintain or achieve success and not burn out, it's like, you have to focus on all the things that you did right. And then just make sure you take the, the lessons from those failures or those things you didn't do well and just incorporate them into the next shoot, the next episode. I don't know. That's, that's like my approach to it. No, I, I totally agree. You can't hold them with you. You know, you're going to, you're going to burn yourself out really quickly if you do that every time and you get angry at yourself because you made one mistake, mm-hmm. you know, people make mistakes. We're not perfect. Uh, like you said, learn from it and try not to make that the next time. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I saw in one of your recent posts that you had talked about line five. Is that something like it's something that I've been meaning to get someone on who's really um, deep in that game in terms of what what that means and maybe fighting against uh, the pipeline. What do you, what do you know about it? What's concerning you in terms of like recently that where it kind of woke you up a little bit? Yeah, I'll say that there are individual individuals out there that are much much more knowledgeable. Um, there are groups like Flow that have dedicated a lot of time and a lot a lot of energy into bringing light to the subject and trying to stop what's happening. Um, But for a very brief summary, Line 5 is the Enbridge pipeline that runs through the Straits of Mackinac. Um, It runs, uh, I think, parts of, um, what, Minnesota, and then goes through 
the Straits and on to southeast of Michigan. Okay. Um, but they run thousands of um, gallons of crude oil through the Straits every day. It was built in like 1953 or something outrageous. Um, yeah. And it's just a matter of time before it leaks and we're all affected. I think there's something like 700 miles of coastline or will be affected when it leaks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that I've recently put more energy into um, learning about and trying to push that we don't want that here. A lot of our industry and a lot of our economy relies on um, tourism. And if our coastlines and the straits are covered in oil, we're going to have a really, really rough time. Um, along with that, along with that, it's going to, it's going to kill a lot of animals. I think, you know, being covered in oil, um, and everything's going to be covered in oil, dude. Like it's (laughs) a, it's a bad situation. Um, and like I said, I'm really not an expert at this point, but I want to keep learning on it. But it was more recently that I made a push. Um, I like to stay on kind of both sides of the argument. And um, I always would think like, yeah, there must be some other side to it. You know, that people supporting oil, they probably have some good point to make. Money that would at least benefit Michigan, maybe? No, it doesn't really. That's the thing. We don't see like any of the money. Um, And another portion of it is like I went on uh, Enbridge's website when I was like interested in it just to see what they had to say. And it's just, you laugh. Like mm-hmm. they claim that they've been a part of Michigan's economy for years. And they they say they employ like a hundred people in Michigan. And it's like a hundred people. That's cool. it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But like that, that, that does nothing for us. You know, like I'm okay with losing a hundred jobs if it sacrifices, you know, our beautiful coastline like that's yeah Mm -hmm. i'm okay with losing those jobs for that yeah i mean Um, they'll be employing a lot more people for cleanup someday i'm sure yeah seriously it was it was interesting i was um trying to think of a better word kind of blind i i remember i was talking to somebody and they were they were we were on the subject of the pipeline and just recently our i think it's our attorney general dana nessel Mm -hmm filed a lawsuit against Enbridge trying to shut down the line. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Coincidence. I saw, I've been hearing a lot of pro pipeline um, ads on my, you know, Pandora station, all this stuff. Like coincidence, that's not a coincidence. They know what they're doing here Mm -hmm. and they know that they're going to lose a lot of money and they know it's wrong, you know, Um, in some way or another. That's my view at least. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's kind of my goal is to spread the word through my voice. I think that everybody has a voice in some way or another and mine is through my photography. And if I could help spread the word of what's happening, I mean, there's so many people out there that have no idea there's a pipeline. Mm -hmm. Um, And it'd be great to spread that word before it's too late. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think you have a cool uh, platform because especially with what you're into right now in terms of photographing surfers and stuff like that, you probably would have a cool connection that you could be making in terms of you know shedding light on the subject but it's something to me that's I mean I'm very very passionate about a lot of things and I've seen a ton of people who are super passionate about getting that shut down since I've moved to northern Michigan and I think there's great reason why they're like that 
Um, because like my understanding is that there was just this, it was built in the fifties. There was this agreement that they could build it, but it was really not to the benefit of our state at all. It was transporting, I think oil from one part of Canada to another part of Canada. None of that was coming to us. And again, I might be wrong on that, but I did research it a little bit. It's, it's just weird. But even if it was bringing a lot of money to our economy or more than a hundred jobs, there's some times where you just have to weigh the risk and think this is going to do incredible harm, no matter how small a chance it is that it breaks or whatever, which I actually think it's a pretty good chance. It's pretty large. It's a pretty good chance. But even if it was minuscule, it's like, why play with that? Why mess with that? It's the Great Lakes. What was the point of us getting all the lakes if we're just going to like risk, risk it all? It's weird. Yeah. I mean, I'll go out to the shoreline uh, pretty often, you know, summertime, wintertime, whatever season. And I'll just look out of the beautiful shoreline and just imagine that being covered in oil. I mean, it, it's preposterous, the situation we're in, like we're having to fight for this and for, we've been fighting for a long time. A lot of people have been fighting for a long time and just now we're starting to get some recognition for it. Um, so hopefully there are some moves being made and we can shut it down before it's too late. I know that Enbridge, their current plan is to put another uh, tunnel tunnel over it, essentially, yeah. But yeah. a, a tunnel is going to take 10 years, maybe more than that. Um, and it doesn't make any sense. And it's a ticking time bomb at this point. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. It, for sure. It's it's nuts. And, like, I don't care. If, I'm, if my facts aren't straight, I apologize. You guys can go <laughs> check all this. You, as you should, go check this stuff out for yourself anyway, just to verify what I'm saying. But, um, yeah, it was like they had these agreements in place that they would have a certain amount of uh, like braces put in every however many feet. And they didn't even hold up that end of the bargain. They had like half as many bracing supports as what they were supposed to for this pipeline. And if something was built in the fifties, like eventually the integrity of it is just, it's just not going to last, especially if you didn't put in the amount of supports you were supposed to. I, I mean, if you go to some of the websites flow, for instance, um, for love of water is it stands for, they have videos of, um, sending drones down underwater vehicles and seeing the pipeline and it's just old and decrepit. I mean, it's, it's overdue past years, you know, it's like, it's rusted as shit. Oh, mm-hmm. Excuse my language, but yeah, you're good. Um, it's, it's time to go. And you can tell as soon as you look at it, it's like, why is that thing there? It's yeah. incredible. It is crazy, man. And then there was like that, uh, tugboat anchor, a couple of years ago, I think that, uh, had drug across and like caused a bit of a crack or something. And essentially their response time to stop it or their ability to like shut the pipeline off was nowhere, uh, close to how fast they should have been able to get to it. And so all this oil was leaking Yeah, and it's, it's just crazy. And the ideas that they're throwing around, like I've heard just right now they want to do this tunnel. So I guess to like build a tunnel and then put a new pipeline in the tunnel. Is that the idea? Um, I don't fully know. I thought it was to like put it over it, but oh, maybe. I, I'm not knowledgeable enough about the subject to okay. really say. Yeah, maybe it is over it, but it's like before that, I thought they were even throwing around the idea. And it's going to be really embarrassing if I, I'm probably going to get a person from flow on here and they'll just correct me on all this stuff. But um, like, I thought they had said, well, we'll just cover it in rocks and sediment and stuff like that. And it's like, what? 
Because yeah. then you're just going to be even less capable of going in and fixing it when something's about to break. Yeah. It's the, just the decision making originally to put it in. Sounds like it was subpar. And then any support in the 50, 60, 70 years since has been also subpar. Yeah. Weird. I mean, a four-year-old could choose the right decision, you know. <laughs> you and I think, think a lot of it, from my understanding, is like behind closed doors, kind of sketchy. I'm assuming, and uh, I think I'm right to assume that a lot of it's very, very money-fueled, and there's probably been people that have been paid off. Um, I don't want to say that and have it people, but I, that's probably that's my my thought on it. You know, it's sketchy, and um, yeah, hopefully we can stop it though. I hope so too. I, I I don't think that's a crazy assumption to make. Typically, oil is not the cleanest of games. Yeah, I don't think. Um, but yeah, man, it'd be cool to see you use your platform and shed some more light on that. I know that I I have plans to do the same as well because I just I didn't have a a great understanding and like I mentioned my passion probably isn't where it needs to be for that subject and it I don't think it's because I don't value the Great Lakes I think it's because I don't yet know all the atrocities that are taking place or the impact that it actually could have so I'm kind of like prepping myself to become pretty fiery about the subjects this was a good warm-up for us yeah I'm glad I could help yeah absolutely (laughs) man so what are your plans uh, in terms of the future like, or what are you up to now and what, how are you trying to propel yourself forward, whether that's expanding your business or, or trying new things? Yeah. So uh, I'd say right now I do a lot of freelance photography, um, but mainly right now I'm working internship at a group called Main Content and they're a video production agency in Traverse City. I wouldn't say agency, company. Um, but that's what I'm doing right now. I'll be transferring up to Northern Michigan University in Marquette, and I'll be finishing out my bachelor's degree there. Um, nice. I didn't know you were leaving us, man. Yeah. No, I'm uh, sad, but also really excited. When to are you doing Marquette. that? Um, I'm actually going up next weekend to just move some stuff in, but coming this, like, I think probably the third week of August, I'll move up, give myself okay. like a week before classes start. Right on, dude. Yeah, I'm glad to have more contacts up there. I love Marquette. It's the best. Yeah, it was um, a struggle I really faced, you know, whether to go to school or not. Um, I definitely knew I wanted to get an associate's degree. Um, a lot of it was like this pressure from my parents, you know. Um, their generation was like, go to college yeah. and you'll get a good job. And it seems kind of, it's a gray area right now for a lot of creatives. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly don't think you necessarily need a degree. And I don't think it's bad to um, go off and get one, you know? Like, I don't look down on anybody that didn't go to school. I actually have a lot of respect for individuals that know what they want to do and have the guts to not go to school and mm-hmm. just, like, jump in right into their career. Like, that takes guts, especially if you have parents that you grew up with that are pushing you to go to college you know there's pressure there um but it wasn't until recently i kind of made the decision not recently probably about a year and a half ago um that i knew i wanted to finish out my bachelor's degree but yeah it's hard with a lot of creatives right now and also the cost of college is just outrageous yep but yeah that would be another topic we could talk about the cost of college but you're i mean you're exactly right with creatives and kind of all these opportunities that are out there i would think especially for your skill set with photography probably be pretty tempting to just be like i think i'll be okay if i don't go to school but also there's so many i think that all the time way more than i need to it's it's kind of unhealthy i think i need to get past it where i have this bit of regret about 
going to college and I never, I never could have avoided it because I had, that was 10 years ago now when I, um, first started college. And I think the landscape was a little different in terms of, you know, entrepreneurial opportunities. And we weren't quite where we're, where we're at now in terms of society, maybe being more accepting of that. Um, but it was like, I still think about it all the time. Like, what if I hadn't? And I just always have to remind myself, for me, the things that I'd learned in school and then subsequently in the career that I chose um, have led me to be able to do now my you know, side thing. What I think is at a decently high level, I, I don't think I would be doing it at this high of a level if I hadn't gotten some of that life experience. But dude, I can't say that I don't you know regret every once in a while like having gone to college i just wonder what it would have been like if i would have just hit the hit the real world sooner i don't know yeah and you know sometimes it's stuff you just got to live with for your situation though and the fact that you're going to school in the up there's like no better place in michigan except maybe where we're at right now to take the type of photos and film like that you want to do it's probably ideal yeah and that's uh what really drove me. I visited a friend up there, uh, my freshman year and we went out and we ended up like, uh, canoed around picture rock, not picture rocks, uh, black rocks mm-hmm. in Marquette. And it was like fall peak time. The most beautiful time to be in uh, the upper peninsula is fall. I mean, the yeah. colors up there are amazing. And as soon as I visited, it was like, this is where I want to be mm-hmm. in Michigan. Um, and they also have a really strong connection to the outdoors. Um, this fall, I'll be taking a class in wildland firefighting. And hmm. like where else in Michigan or other schools in the state do you get to take a class to teach you how to be a firefighter, a wildland firefighter as well? So like forest fires? and Forest fires, yeah. So What, do you, what happens if you pass the class? So if I pass the class, um, I'm hopeful at this point, but yeah, time will tell. <laughs> um, you'll get your, there's certain ratings and I don't know the names. I don't want to butcher them and be wrong, but you get certified to work on any fire. And it depends which state, from my understanding, different states have different laws about what fires you can work on, but you get that and you're certified. Uh, from there, you can go to a state agency or an agency and try to get a job. Okay. But those are the basic uh, prerequisites to being able to get into fire. Is that, that's not what your degree is going to be in, is it? No. So right now I'm looking to study digital cinema and okay. probably like minor marketing, but I think it's just really interesting. Um, I've talked to some individuals that you can make really good money doing it. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking like potentially doing that for a few summers, uh, paying for school and seeing how it goes and also documenting it. Yeah. I tell people that they're like, wait, you don't want to be a photographer. I'm like, no, I want to be a photographer. I want to go uh, capture that and that kind of experience. Dude, you got some cool ideas. I think that would be crazy. Just like the fact that wildfires, I think happen so frequently, especially out West and how many lives are lost or livelihoods are lost from those to be able to document that would be crazy. And also you seem like you could carry a fire hose. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I um, ran into a, he's actually a park ranger here in Sleeping Bear, but he worked fire for a long time and he started off, he's like, it was 16 hour days and you're breathing in smoke until you want to puke. That was my most favorite job I've ever been in. And um, there's a lot of camaraderie from my understanding. You get to see a lot of beautiful country. 
Um, but you know, the first and for- foremost, I'd be a firefighter mm-hmm. and then on the side documenting it. Right. But I would love for an experience like that. Um, most of my life I've worked, I've been fortunate enough to work, um, internships in the film and kind of photography in- industry, but I've never really had an experience that's out there, you know, where mm-hmm. you're working long days and had something that intense. So I'd be interested to see how I could hold up to something, something like that. Yeah. Dude, I'm seeing some major connections between um, your abilities to capture moments and what I think are pretty unique situations. So for someone, uh, I'll be honest, I'm probably never going to surf. Like, uh, no, uh, maybe, no, never. <laughs> maybe. But it, say, I, say I never do. I still am able to, like, take some piece of that from your photos. And then you mention, you know, the other things that you've documented and then whether that's using your platform and documenting aspects of the shoreline to raise awareness for shutting down the pipeline or for these wildfires, there's like definitely some connections where I think you're going to be able to use your talent to shed light on important subjects because I understand the devastation of wildfires, but unless I'm seeing some videos or film of someone fighting a fire, I'm not going to like, truly be able to grasp like what exactly is going on and why I should care about it and why I should donate or why I should volunteer or whatever it is. I don't know. It's important work, I think. Yeah. And I'd love to use my skills to help spread the word. And it's actually, fires are a good thing. Um, humans think fire is bad. And you go to, you know, a hundred years ago, we've passed that uh, much farther. Uh, fire has happened much more consistently. And it's kind of a part of the natural process. And then mm. humans start developing and they're like, we don't want things to burn. Right. And then we let things overgrow. And that's when it becomes a problem. You look at California, things overgrew uh, for years and years. This is from my understanding. I'm not an expert, but mm. um, from what I've heard um, in my little understanding, um, yeah. things overgrew and they just didn't let any fires happen for years. Okay. When a fire does happen, there's a lot of fuel there. And that's why these are so devastating. Okay. Um, I could be wrong, so comment if I am. But it, I'm like pretty positive that's a lot of it is that we've just overgrown. Um, we're starting to we're starting to learn a little bit more that that's a good thing, from my understanding. Um, I think that when the fires do happen, um, I don't know the name of the tree. It might just be a general pine, but they release um, their seeds okay. to help m- grow more. Um, plants and that's like Mm. one thing the fire does so there's actually a lot of good benefits to it but the one thing i could shed light on is like we're destroying our planet with all these fossil fuels Mm -hmm. and that's certainly speeding it up a little bit okay so yeah did i mean didn't like native americans like implement burning of their fields probably much earlier than we maybe had an understanding of i think that they did they would you know plant for a certain amount of seasons and then burn their fields and then there was like more nutrients in the soil it kind of like refreshed and brought the soil back to life and stuff like that or the plants back to life i don't understand that either we'll reconnect with you after you're a firefighter but (laughs) um yeah then it's just like the issue i think is you know while it's good for the environment in terms of the plant life and all that stuff it's like well the issue is when people have their houses amongst all that stuff and it's like yeah we freak out because we're losing parts of our families or lives or these houses that we put in places that maybe they shouldn't have been anyway. I don't know. So there's that overgrowth 
but also with the development of our towns and cities that where I think it, the intersection is pretty crazy. Yeah. The earth would be, would be doing pretty great. And then you add like humans into that equation and we tend to mix things up and screw things up pretty good. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, I think hopefully our generation, if we can convince some other generations or I, I shouldn't put the onus on generations. That was bad. Sorry about that. But just, um, sorry, Gen X. Yeah. Whoever, whoever is passionate about this, um, can make enough of a change to flip things around a little bit or, or have a more pleasant place to live in the next, however many years would be kind of nice. Yeah. And I think a lot of that just comes from education, spreading the word, um, with whatever voice you have, because there's so many people out there that are just like, um, uneducated about the subject, whether it be climate, whether it be the pipeline and they don't know, or they're taught incorrectly, um, in some way, shape or form. And they just don't understand the proper steps to help, you know, push that forward to make our health, our planet a healthier place, a cleaner place for more generations to come. A lot of it's that education aspect. I mean, you'll talk to a lot of people in America, a lot of people deny climate change, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's out there. It's very real. So I think it's that education is that first step. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big proponent of education. That's for sure. And I think you wrapped up the conversation pretty well in terms of, um, become educated on, on subjects and whether you end up agreeing with, with it at the end or not, at least you took the time to educate yourself so that you can in your own head and in your own heart make, you know, what's a more, uh, educated opinion or yeah. whatever that's that's much better said i'm not i don't want to call anybody wrong uh, straight out but maybe some subjects <laughs> there yeah there are some subjects where i'll straight up tell people they're wrong and then there's other subjects where i definitely think in my head that they're wrong but i won't quite say it you didn't do anything yeah the way yeah. you'd said it um but it's like people take great offense to just being told that they're wrong even if they're wrong I don't know. Yeah. And so it's like part of what I do is I have to almost try to coax people, coax people into at least considering the opposite viewpoint. And then if they go back to their original stance, okay, we tried. Like Mm -hmm. that's all we can do. It's hard too because some people just don't, um, don't like being, you know, confronted with disagreement. You know, they think that like you disagree and that's right away saying like there's some kind of argument going on and you could disagree respectfully and um, depending on how you word it, some people like to be very, very gentle and Mm -hmm. it kind of annoys me, you know, because they're like they they go around all these like harsher ways to say you're wrong and sometimes like, hey, you're wrong. It's cool though. Or maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't know it Mm -hmm. Um, and being a little bit like just not accepting Mm -hmm. that makes any sense. No, for sure. And and one good way of approaching it too is like you said, hey, I might be wrong, but give me a chance to say what I want to say and then you can say what you want to say. And as long as the other person's point isn't too stupid or outrageous, you'll probably consider it. And so that's how you have healthy conversation regarding topics that, you know, are sensitive. People, you know, in the political climate that we're in, there's a lot of... Uh, easy disagreements here. It can be very easy to find spots where we're not agreeing with people. And one of the first things I have to remind myself of is, okay, well, let's just try to imagine where this person's coming from. And if 10 minutes later, I still think that they're arrogant. Okay. 
but I did give him a chance. Yeah, you tried. Yeah, it can go a long way. Yeah. So if you're listening, and, and you should try to do that too in certain areas, no matter how hard it is, because it is definitely really, really hard. Let's um, Let's end with where people can find you, whether that's on social media, Facebook, website, whatever. Yeah, totally. So a lot of my work, um, I focus the most on is my Instagram account. That's Liam Kaiser Creative. Um, I would say that's where I'd look look myself up at if I was okay. going to go find me. Cool. Yeah, I'll link to that in the show notes so people can find out more about you. Dude, it was good to get to know you, and I'm excited for what you're going to do in the future because I think not only are you just putting out cool products in the form of your photographs, but you have a clear mission behind it, and I think that that's how we actually create change is the the willingness to do that and so i'm pretty stoked to see what you're up to in a couple years whether that's fighting fires and taking pictures of you fighting fires or filming some important things that need need documented so really cool man thanks for coming on yeah thanks for having me i really appreciate it and thanks to everybody who's listening right now yes we love you guys yeah all right have a good week bye bye